Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Bellog. I am the founder and chief groupie of Brand Groupies Consulting, where we obsess about your brands. Build your brand, rock your brand, and fans will come. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Groupies podcast, where we speak with inspiring entrepreneurs and brand leaders who are building and rocking their brands. And uh, I'm excited today to continue our backstage series um, with the podcast. And I have today uh, with me uh, Adam Nelson. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. The Brand Groupies podcast. Um, Adam Nelson is the founder and CEO of Workhouse, one of the country's leading public relations and integrated creative agencies. Celebrating 20 years of service, Workhouse provides forward-thinking public relations, social media, brand promotion, creative consulting, and modern-day marketing. Clients have included amazing, amazing uh, rock stars, <laughs> uh, Lou Reed, the Rolling Stones, as well as actors, Hugh Jackman, um, Francis Ford Coppola, David LaChapelle, CBGB, Max's Kansas City, Porsche, and many more across a broad Broad spectrum of entertainment, culture, fashion, and lifestyle spheres. And uh, Workhouse, I just want to mention, uh, swept three of the industry's highest honors when it was bestowed with the Public Relations Society of America's Silver Anvil Award, the PR News's Platinum PR Wow Award, and the Bulldog Reporter Sil Silver Medal Award. Um, in 2015, Nelson was inducted into the New York Business Hall of Fame, and his agency was recently named to the PR Power Honor Roll as one of the nation's most influential firms. Wow, I'm so honored to have you. <laughs> I'm so honored by that wow, introduction. You have such intro. a voice for radio. <laughs> no way. But uh, that's so cool, Adam. So thank you so much for, for being here. I know you've been on my like target list for a while, and now we finally launched the Backstage series to have uh, creatives and um, brand groupies, as I like to say, who are behind the brands and kind of dig in and see what you've been doing for the past 20 plus years in <laughs> branding and, you know, marketing. So, uh, so welcome. welcome. Thank you. Just, uh, you know, if I can, I'd like to make a little announcement, which is I'm going to set something on fire before this is over. Okay. So you got to make sure that you listen to the whole podcast. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So I want to hear about, um, you know, number one, uh, workhouse and, you know, what services you offer before we d dive into your background. Um, I just look at it as, uh, I am the class clown of creative communication. What I try to do is something that's never been done before. You know, I'd rather be sent to the principal's office than have to listen to best practices, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not interested in what uh, what is the normal or even the new normal. I'm trying to do something that uh, would be maybe more in line with the best ugly, something that uh, promotes deviant composition, um, truth telling. Um, Avoiding the humdrum, the bubblegum, the ho-hum, and the deaf and dumb. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So you do everything from your traditional PR to branding. What, yep. you know, marketing, what's your marketing, all sorts uh, of content creation things. Okay. Got it. Social media. And social media. So um, tell us about some of your, your current clients or people you're working with. Um, I can't talk about that. Oh, you can't? No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we have a lot of different clients across many different spectrums. We do a lot uh, still with businesses on the boardwalk in Asbury Park, mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Modine. Um, 
Yeah, you know, um, it's it's always changing. It's always evolving. Okay, awesome. And uh, so I want to hear about how you um, you got into this in PR. And uh, I know you moved from <laughs> the South to New York, right? Yeah, I was originally from New York, and uh, I relocated to the humid heat of Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. in which I learned all about corporal punishment and getting hit with a paddle for being mm-hmm. uh, rambunctious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I moved back to New York after studying theater at, sorry, I'm making a lot of noise with my zippers. Oh, see that. The High School for the Performing Visual Arts, uh, the mm-hmm. University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Yale, Oxford University, which is amazing because, um, you know, I made a 480 combined on my SAT. So, <laughs> you know, for somebody that got kicked out of high school every year, went to summer school every summer, to have to go to the to go to those schools was uh, was 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 an amazing wow. experience. Yeah. And how did you transition from theater into communication? It's and a PR? natural segue, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's all communication. It's all yes. it's all speaking. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, I went back to New York. Uh, to be an actor, and I was uh, I was homeless for, you know, by choice. I decided mm-hmm. that it was going to be my, um, you know, uh, my vision to do anything I could to do as much theater as possible. So I wouldn't be hung up with traditional things like, you know, a job or a relationship <laughs> or an apartment. I would just take every job I could. And... Uh, and I did that. I watered a lot of plants. I watched a lot of cats. I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I took a lot of a lot of interesting work. But at a certain point, it started to take its toll, and I had to find a job. And uh, I got this job with um, Peggy Siegel, who's a really well-known um, kind of movie celebrity wrangler. So she would do all the major movies in New York, James Bond, Batman. And we would get on the phone and we would call celebrities and invite them to come to these events. And I got this job because of a friend of mine who was in the theater, who was doing it. And uh, she's a, a very powerful personality and she had a lot of turnover, but I stuck with it. I was one of the only men in the office mm-hmm. for a number of years. And then I was able to transition that to become the director of publicity for Irving Plaza Concert Hall, which mm-hmm. was quite a big step up and... and um, and was really uh, interesting to see bands come through at that time, you know, Yoko Ono and B.B. King. And wow. I mean, there's so many interesting performance uh, in that one little space. And then um, they went through a, a kind of a, a sale and I uh, ended up at a company called Jason Weinberg and Associates. Mm-hmm. And Jason Weinberg really was the first time I had a roster of my own. And mm-hmm. in that roster, I had about 150 celebrity clients mm-hmm. that I had to service. And uh, and that was just an extraordinary <laughs> experience, very difficult and nearly impossible. But when he decided that he was going to close up shop, go to Los Angeles and become an agent, uh, our manager, um, I was thrown out on the street, essentially, you know, in the middle of the dot-com bust mm. in uh, in an economic depressed time. Jobs were scarce. I had about $196 in the bank and I just didn't know what mm. I was going to do. And so I started this company, Workhouse, which was named after uh, a theater company whose floor I slept on. Okay. Um, and wow. I started this company with a fax machine and a phone in a rented kitchen in a film office in Soho. Mm. 
What, what year was this? 1999. Oh, 99. This is our 20th anniversary. Wow. Wow. That's what a story. And so from there, like, who was your first client? Like, how did you so move on? It could have been a very interesting Jerry Maguire moment mm -hmm. when Jason Weinberg decided uh, that he was going to not uh, continue to do public relations. And I'm sure that all of the agents in the office could have said, wow, I'm going to take my roster and just go and start. Mm -hmm. But People really revere Jason. He uh, is an exceptional human being. And um, I asked him if I could take one of my clients, which was David LaChapelle, very, very well-known film photographer um, uh, and, um, and director, um, and who was not very well-known at the time. He was doing mostly editorial work, but he had grander ambitions. And I had never seen anybody like him. He was like a modern-day Warhol. Mm. He just did things that were so candy-colored, cool and unique and uh, interesting. And so Jason allowed me to take David, who was my first client. And from there, um, it kind of became, a, a, you know, a, an interesting progression. I took everything I could, mm. pennies on the dollar. I, I would just do whatever was possible to, you know, enlarge the roster so okay. I could have a viable business. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Like, because yeah. he is so um, iconic. And I remember, yeah. you know, back, I guess in the, I mean, I just think of him, I don't, you know, as, as, as so famous. So I get, and you were with him from the beginning. So, um, and, and PR was so different back then, you know, than it is now. So back then, like, was it just like writing press releases or you, you did you use all your celebrity connections? It was too? faxing press releases. Faxing, and mostly, yes, faxing. And mostly, you know, like it was the early advent of, you know, yes. the kind of computers that, you know, would be able to do the kind mm -hmm. of work that you would need to do. I mean, the hours I spent with oh. dial up and just trying to get things out and yeah. finding email addresses. And like, there was no construct that we have today. There were no particulars mm -hmm. that you could invoke to have, a, you know, to have a, what we would call best practices, to have any relationship to reach out other than pure hustle. Mm -hmm. You know, I would go to a nearby hotel and fax exclusive confidential gossip items. So they wouldn't know it was coming from me, you know, oh and, like, and you could go to a hotel and say, hey, can you send this fax to the New York Post for me? Thank you so much. You know, yeah, my client's upstairs. I just, you would have, this is where I think, mm -hmm. Where you look at the people that have been able to withstand working in this industry mm -hmm. and in other industries similar, um, it is about figuring out how to get in a door that's closed, figuring mm -hmm. out how to shuck and jive, figuring out how to use what you see before you to make it happen no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now more than ever, that's really, really important. But back then, it, you it was sink or swim. Most people couldn't do it because mm -hmm. it was it's it's you have to be in that all the time. Yes. There's no office hours. You're you're pulling that list somehow. You're finding a way to get faxed. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah. Fax oh my numbers. gosh. It was yeah, so so different back then. And so so you were building your, you know, your clientele and was there a point where you, I don't know, maybe scored a um a bigger client that had a bigger budget or something that really was the turning point and you said, "Wow, I've you know, gotten to a point where I can Coast a little. I have two milestone initiatives, but the first one most certainly. So I, David was my first client, and then this amazing promoter who um, was doing nightclub stuff, doing a lot of the gay and lesbian nightclub things in the city. Uh, she was also an incredible mover 
uh, in her in her mythology, she was able to convince Ford Focus to give out cars to a number of influencers in New York and just drive them around for a month. They'd pay for the gas, they'd pay for the parking just to have yeah. them seen. Like it, it was a it was a bit of a Wild West period mm. there where there, where people were really experimenting. You're like what's like, the ROI on that? <laughs> you wouldn't have to, right? It was just like I drove it. There's the mile. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but the biggest client at that point was Interview Magazine. They had come mm. to us and uh, they had asked us to do some store openings. With I got to do something with Iggy Pop. I got to do Richard Branson's opening. <laughs> like It was a lot of advertising events that um, required an interesting creative constitution. Mm. So I did – that was a great one uh, for – having David LaChapelle in Interview Magazine. Oh my gosh. Just the symmetry of those two. Yes. Um, but what it, what it, I was with David in Paris for Fashion Week. He was shooting, um, actually it wasn't Fashion Week. It was, no, I correct myself. It was Fashion Week, but it was Gallery Lafayette's 20th anniversary. And David was charged with creating all of the design and aesthetic for that anniversary. It was also Interview Magazine's 30th anniversary that was coming up. So Ingrid Sishi, who is no longer with us, who was one of the most brilliant editors yeah. and chiefs yeah. in, in, in our lifetime, um, asked uh, David and I if we would produce the 30th anniversary in 10 days. And so we had no budget. We had no sponsors. We had no guests. But within 10 days, we were able to create something that I think was one of those New York landmark moments. You know, Elton John performed. Everybody that you could imagine attended. Wow. The, it was a who's who of glitterati. And ultimately, what that event you know, proved was that the, the, the dedication uh, of spirit that you that – we could really, with you know, waiters, layabouts, interns, whatever we could muster to create mm -hmm. a workable staff, build something that would get the kind of attention that it mm -hmm. ultimately received, and not feel slap shot. You know, and we um, from that moment, I knew that we could continue to to go after the kinds of clients mm -hmm. that would normally frown upon. Mm. You know, this this small shop that looked like a Sam Spade detective office <laughs> on a wayward street in Soho. Wow. That is such a great story. Oh my gosh. I know. I, I, uh, I remember the PR days, you know, when you, when you didn't have big budgets, I mean, that was huge that you were, uh, working with interview magazine. And if anyone doesn't know, you know, interview magazine, I mean, it was like the bomb, I mean, the coolest magazine and, uh, started by Andy Warhol. I mean, everybody that's been in those pages and the yeah. greatest art directors in the world on the covers. I mean, that is, uh, so cool. And, um, wow. So that just, it took off and now you, you've, you keep going and did you add services as you moved on? Um, I was just always a core. talker, right? <laughs> so at the end of the day, if I could have the meeting, I could create the conversation mm -hmm. and determine what the need – you know, if you ever walk down a street in New York and you see three-card money, you know, with, they don't do it anymore. But, you know, you have the hustlers out there. They take the cardboard box. They throw it down. I'm not calling myself a hustler, by the way. <laughs> um, but they take the three cards and, and you have to figure out where the ace is. And if you see it, you throw your 20 down. But these guys are smart, you know, and what they do is they flip up the corner. So you think you see it. And as they're turning it, mm. they flip that corner down and another one up. And mm. so you can't see the bottom of the card. And you go, that's where it is. And your money's taken, right? That was New York for a large degree yeah. in this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that why we separated ourselves from people that 
talk but don't show up is because I, I really believe in, in, you know, handshakes mean something to me. Mm-hmm. Signing my name on something means something to me. My word really means something. So mm-hmm. I think that was apparent by the length of term that we had so many of our clients, five mm-hmm. years, seven years, you know, wow. in public relations, when people are just, you know, upstreaming all the time, you're jumping from one agency to the other. Mm-hmm. It was it was for me uh, the moment of, of, of true satisfaction to every year to re-up for another term. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, I talk to a lot of brands about their their target market and their their audience. But I find, you know, in in PR and having an agency, you know, you really have to customize your services per per, you know, depending on the client, each time it's it's different. And you just have to, you know, come up, how will it work with their budget and just be creative. And it's not like you're selling the same thing over and over again. I mean, it keeps it true. There was a lot more money back then. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot more. um, I think there was a lot more uh, adventure. Mm -hmm. People looked at their businesses in ways that they don't look at it now. We're also Mm -hmm. in an age of self-promotion. It's very hard to get Mm -hmm. past everybody, you know, speaking their own language directly to a consumer Mm -hmm. or to a business. So how do you cut through the cacophony of that? And I think you can only do that by rolling, you know, the dice and doing big and interesting work. And, you know, it's not, I mean, who reads magazines anymore? Mm -hmm. Who reads newspapers? You're in an age of fake news, alternative facts. There's so much to contend with that didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. And so now, what is the narrative? The narrative, I think, is understanding who you're speaking to, which I think mm-hmm. everybody gets, but how you're speaking to them is just as important, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's not just brand language, like everybody has brand language. Yeah. I think irreverence is key. It has always been key, thumbing your nose. You look at these people that have come before us that take no prisoners because they just <laughs> don't care. And a lot of those people are held up in high esteem mm-hmm. because of their confidence, their sheer confidence mm-hmm. in knowing who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I try to instill that in brands, but, you know, a lot of focus groups, a lot of internal conversation Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with a lot of agencies, there's a lot of like hesitation. And, uh, you know, when we sign a new client, I try to have an honest conversation that my dialogue is really about, I understand what your retainer is. My job is not to nickel and dime you and paper cut you with expenses. We can stay within this, in this spectrum of, Mm -hmm. of finance. But we got to do something with it. It's not, I mean, you're not going to get in vogue. It's not going to happen. And even if it does, it's not going to change your Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when we would get on Oprah's list for, uh, because we had many publishing clients, it would break people's websites, Daily Candy. It would would absolutely decimate their ability to speak to a customer Mm -hmm. if you got a placement like that. Absolutely. It doesn't really happen like that anymore. I know. Yeah, that's a good good point. And now it's really just getting through the uh, the saturation and um, finding you know where the the best uh, places for for the client. And um, and you know, I always say I use the the quote by Mick Jagger: "Anything worth doing is worth overdoing." Like you really right. have to if you're going to do it, right? You know, and you have to have a long term you know strategy. What's your you know? You got to stick with thing. it, and you got to throw a lot at the wall, and you got to yes. have. You got to fail big. Mm-hmm. You got to fail big. You got to figure out why you failed. You have to know that if we all agree that this was the right approach and it didn't work, it doesn't mean just cut and run. It means in- investigate the reasons why yeah. and try and make the 
I always say this to clients. I want to take your biggest deficiency mm-hmm. and make it your greatest asset, mm-hmm. right? Because like if that. you know what your problem is, yeah. why should it stay that way? Yes. We should find a way to make that, you know, the solid gold standard. Um, but also magazines today, a lot of news is native, right? They all want you to pay to play. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're, what do you believe? I mean, yeah. what editorial do you really believe in? We're so, you know, at this point, nobody believes anything. I don't believe uh, what I read and what I see. And I don't believe people's streams of, you know, awards. I mean, look, it's great to win awards. I'm not knocking our uh, exposure to being celebrated for work that we've done. Mm-hmm. But in today's day and age, do people really stand up and applaud for work that you've, you know, you've won for? I think a lot of people are hesitant to believe those are true mm-hmm. and, and valid. And I don't know if it increases your bottom line at the end of the day. I don't yeah. know how many new customers are coming to us because we've won so much. Yes. You know, and it doesn't, yeah. and I don't look backwards anyway. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk in the room and say, you know, I was in the New York Business Hall of Fame <laughs> 2015. You know, it, it doesn't. Oh, I could brag about it. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I remember, you know, when it was like you've been featured in this magazine and now you can you can pay for an ad and then you can say I was in this publication exactly. to just sound. And you look at this better. peso model. What what exists today mm-hmm. is a peso model, which is essentially, you know, paid earned media. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the yes. that's the dynamic. So part of your budget is. Go and pitch this and get us, you know, valuable uh, earned media. And then go buy a feature story in Inc. Magazine and we will put the two together and it'll look like we have a deliverable, right? Mm -hmm. As a brand, as a product, as an individual. Look. I, I just, I don't agree. What's the point of public relations if we're buying and selling? Yes. At the end of the day, if I'm just yeah. going and calling people up and saying, how much is it going to cost for a feature story? You can hire somebody to do that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, an intern or anybody, yeah. really. I mean, yes. at the end of the day, I want to be able to say, if your budget is $3,000 or $5,000 mm-hmm. and that's real money to you, because it always is, is Inc. Magazine what you really want out of that, mm-hmm. right? Because it's yes. not going to be $5,000. Yeah. It's going to be much more than much that. Much more. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's it's changed so much. And, you know, like you said, like I back in the day, we knew, you know, every fashion editor, you knew everyone um, so well. And now there are just so many people. It's like where, you know, in the industry and bloggers and writers and everyone's a stylist and, you know, Well, think editor. about all the editor in chiefs that this is the other interesting thing for me mm-hmm. in terms of nothing ever remains the same and nothing 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 will maintain the same heat that it once had every editor in chief i knew mm-hmm. is no longer in that position mm-hmm. and trying to revolutionize their lives and what their forte is mm-hmm. now in order to have careers because everything has been turned upside mm-hmm. down because we're in a time between television and radio. We don't know where technology is going mm-hmm. and what will be this new way, this new conduit of creative communication. Mm-hmm. So people are, you know, floundering a bit, not to mention presidential politics and everything else that's yeah. going on to compress this time and make it feel so anxious. But I do think that 
not having these contacts makes all of public relations relative. Now we're all on the same level. Mm -hmm. Nobody can reach anybody. Nobody that you knew is there anymore. <laughs> you now have to hustle. You have to get back on that three card Monty, that three card Monty sidewalk and figure yes. out how you're going to keep this going. I know. Right? I feel like it has to go back. Like I was like, maybe I'll send a fax. Maybe that'll catch their attention. I absolutely or agree with that. street teams. I'm like, you know, remember, I remember um, after the Ralph Lauren show, we wanted to hit all the editor. We had a brand new designer, right? So we wanted to hit every single editor. So we actually staged a fashion show on the street in Soho as all the editors were coming out to get their attention. You Speaking know? my language. Because you know, that and it was like me... guerrilla marketing and she and everyone came and started interviewing the no, you know, designer who nobody knew because you had you placed yourself in that position. But it's like you know, you you gotta. <laughs> you gotta. Think That's it. Dot dot dot. You gotta. You got right? to. And you and you, got you gotta. To. I, I, know. I used to say that all the time, which yes. is you know, everybody's sending email. Everybody's cold calling. Yeah. Every you know, you know, sending a fax is the absolute brilliant idea. Uh, the antithesis mm -hmm. of where everybody's going. When people are zigging, you zag. Right. Yes. You have yeah, to. Yeah. You have to you get attention. You have to. And going backwards is. Often some of the greatest, mm -hmm. I find some of the best PR is going backwards mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. reevaluating things you used to yeah. do. Yes. Yeah. You know, we go to Sundance, which is probably, mm -hmm. and I've been to Sundance like 14 years in a row. Wow. It's a marketing bonanza. I, oh. I was there at the early days when it felt like, you know, it was the Wild West. You know, it was one room where all of the film executives were uh -huh. and we would all be there. And then we'd go to the one theater or two theaters to see the films. And that was it. That's and it. when we went Maybe there. Maybe some gift bags, but. <laughs> really, there was no real marketing. Yeah. It, was, it was like tumbleweeds. Wow. And, wow. and I went with this film and we had a Winnebago and we would pull up outside of the film executive scene and say, this is the coach to the next screening room. We rented a conference room in a hotel and we showed our short film in front of a feature film called Cannibal the Musical. Mm -hmm. Those guys who made the musical, Cannibal the Musical, was Matt Stone and Trey Parker, and it was before they did South Park. And no this way. is like this when and, and I ran into Matt on the street, you know, about a year or two back, and I I, I couldn't believe, you know, also the trajectory of where yes, we've all yes. gotten. But but you could do that then. Mm -hmm. And now when you go to Sundance, it is how many people are dressed as, you know, uh, fairy tale creatures and how much stuff is going on <laughs> so in the street much. you can't see. Yeah. But if you went to a festival like that mm -hmm. and you were doing a film that was about, you know, sexuality or something and you bought 700 pairs of women's underwear and you wrote the, the times of the, your film screening inside and you dropped that underwear all yeah, over Main Street, like, yeah. people would look down instead of what they're doing now, which is what is going on all over So the place. too much. Yeah, I know. And how to get oh. through. That's so cool. That's awesome. That's, but uh, th but I remember those days. So now, like you know, it's just interesting and to hear your feedback um, because you know I come in contact with clients and you know who have a certain budget and it's like okay, you know, my whole goal is to give them the best bang for their buck. You want to make sure that every dollar, every time that they, you know, a minute that they spend is going to be you know buzzworthy and the best return on investment. But like, um, I don't know. What are you feeling as far as trends? I I mean, I'm trying to mix social and PR and really have everything so integrated right now and to maximize, um, you know, all of that. But it's like, what's next? You know, I'm I'm getting bored sometimes. On totally. And I <laughs> on think everybody's social. getting everybody's getting Not bored to say, on social. I, mean, I do social media I think as there's a service. A bigger, but there's a bigger play happening that's that's uh, affecting uh this kind of business. I don't think public relations will exist in five years. Mm -hmm. Not like this. 
don't see it happening and I don't think people are going to pay for it. And I look at like what happened with WeWork in terms of people leaving their offices and going into these smaller places. I look mm -hmm. at businesses like this, you know, mm -hmm. this podcast business and your business and, and so many people that I know who are going out on their own and keeping it small and doing freelance. We're in a gig economy. This is where we're going, where people are not going to spend the kind of money they were spending. Mm -hmm. And we're all in trouble. Because at the end of the day, you won't be able to make a living doing that. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out in, in this way of going backwards, how do you go back and rebrand yourself and find other avenues that allow you to make money yes. and still do interesting work? Because yeah. otherwise, you know, what are you doing all yeah. day? You're, you're finding people that are um, a little slower in terms of get, grasping you know, Fiverr or other outlets where you can go and mm -hmm. pay somebody $500 as opposed to $5,000 no with a true deliverable <laughs> because yeah. there's reviews, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't match your service, they'll see it on your reviews. And if they see it on your reviews, you won't have that platform anymore. If you don't have that platform, you're not in business. So the reason when I saw WeWork, um, you know, I was paying Twenty thousand dollars for rent, mm. I, and when I when 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 Workhouse started to take off, and we would have thirty clients in a month, and I had a staff of twenty, and we were were growing exponentially, and it couldn't keep up. I had to evaluate where I was spending my money as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. It was never my desire mm -hmm. to have that many mouths to feed, to have that kind of insurance, to have that kind of overhead. And when WeWork came along, and I realized that people would actually buy into the fact that you didn't need the bells and whistles of walking into an office with the wow factor of, mm -hmm. wow, look at all this great furniture and look at all the these people and like, you're $10,000 <laughs> worthy, right? Like $20,000 as your retainer. I so see it, right? Yeah. Yes. Now you can, you can fake it to make it per se. You can have a little desk at WeWork and you mm -hmm. can go to that meeting and you can- yep hustle your way into a relationship, but you're not going to have that kind of retainer. You're hustling yeah. your way mm -hmm. to a thousand five hundred, three thousand, five thousand dollars, maybe ten. But I think that that's reaching for a lot of younger mm -hmm. businesses who don't have yeah. a long history of, of work that they can support. Sure. Yeah. It's a it's good feedback. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Adam, what's next? Uh, but just staying on the cutting edge, you know, and especially social media, the algorithms change, you know, weekly and everything changes. You just have to be like on I mean, I guess when you're Kentucky Fried Chicken, I guess if you're Wendy's, you know, the the kind of, and this goes back to what I was saying before mm -hmm. about irreverence, you know, where they get the most social play is when they're irreverent, you know, and yes. when they're, when right. they're tongue in cheek and when, yep. when people are sharing it and liking it and a brand that big, you absolutely need to stay relevant. You need to stay mm -hmm. in the social picture. You need to stay, your advertising needs to yep. be sharp because there's a the middle ground there. Uh, there's a line that you're trying to reach in terms of a large mass of consumers. So many brands today are trying to get smaller, get more personal, get very specific about, you know, mass with class is not their ideology. Mm -hmm. Theirs is more about, you know, direct relationship to individuality. And yeah. that is uh, mm -hmm. something you can't buy. Yes. It's punk rock, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. you can't buy your audience. You mm -hmm. just are what you are. You stand for it yeah. and people gravitate to you. Yeah. Brand groupies, like the fan. <laughs> That's um, like you want people to be so excited to. Loyalists. You know, loyal. You want loyalists. You want that passion. Um, and I know brand loyalty is hard to find, you know, these days, but the ones that do exist have 
great, you know, great uh, followers. And, and well, you fans. look at like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? They just yes. they did all these bands that just got in. You you realize that that was all done by by consumers, yeah. by fans, absolutely pushing their you know Depeche Mode, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Depeche Mode. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> Biggie Smalls. All right, you know. But but what yep. they're doing is they're they're forcing their will mm -hmm. to have these people recognized for what they stood for yes. and who they mean, you know, what they mean to them. Yep. And I think that that's a very uh, interesting uh, paradigm to think about when you look at your client relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and another thing I, uh, you know, I talk to clients about is their brand pillars and really getting to know like who they are. I know we talked about that, yep. their core identity, because if they don't know who they are, how can they, you know, be that to right. their consumers? And they have to feel so strongly um, and just be who they are. And then they'll, like you said, they'll just attract the people that they're meant to attract and really go with that, not follow the crowd, like their competitors right. doing that, like, and just, you know, really say, stay strong um with uh with who they are we say you know rook coffee people are like why don't they sell tea and I'm like because they they're not that's not their you know core identity right. they're, they're strong coffee you know there's coffee brand they're the best coffee so it just um the people who are passionate about coffee only you know it only makes that right. those fans more obsessive about the brand right. if it's just like really the the best coffee and then they're tea drinkers are, are going to go somewhere else. And that's fine because it just makes that brand even stronger. And in New York, when you're not going to cross the street to go to a coffee place, you're mm -hmm. staying on your lane. You're on the right side of the street. Yes. You're going all the way downtown. I don't care what's over there. I have yes. a mission. If it's Blue Bottle Coffee, if it's a Tangentia, if it's, you know, if, it, if it's, a, it's one of those coffee Sometime, places yes. that, that register with you, you will cross the street for that cup Absolutely. of coffee. Yes. And, and that's the, the difference maker in all of this is that if somebody does something, you know, very, very well, mm -hmm. and they've minimized everything to a fine point, I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. I'm going there specifically for this product, mm -hmm. for this item, because yeah. of their expertise, right? Yes. yes. As opposed to going into a coffee place, you know, that has breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It, yes. and, you know, and you're like, what are they good at? And then, you know. <laughs> what are they good at? And, you know, maybe the brand pillar is, we're good at everything. Well, that's not a good know, brand pillar, right? Pillar. I know. I'm like, pick something and just go, you know. And you would think that so if you're going to go to the trouble of being an entrepreneur to get into business, to yes. build a business, yes. you would know exactly what you're good at, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and you would know what your go brand pillars it. are. Yeah. But to not know, I find, I just find that to be interesting yes. to talk to people who are in, I know what we're good at. I mm -hmm. also know what we attempt to be good at. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of it is beyond our control and some of it is timing and some of it is atmospheric asset stories because of what's going on <laughs> in the world, right? But yep. but ultimately to be good at something is the reason why you stay up all night to see the doors open. Yeah. You know? If yes. you can't answer that question, I question why, why you're yes. opening the doors. Yes. Yeah. Your, your why. Um, no, that's so true. And, uh, and I was, you know, say, I want to talk about you and I want to know, like, I can't be like, you sell bagels and <laughs> turkey pastrami sandwiches and coffee. Like, you know, it's like you do X, Y, and Z and they're the best in town. You better go yes. try them out. No, I think that's funny. Is that I, you always get the menu, right? It's like five pages and they're like, okay. <laughs> For this month, we're going to work on this menu, right? And we're going to try and promote all of these different menu items. Yeah. The next month, we'll go to the next page. And then we're going to go, what food editor is ever going to look at that I realistically know. and you're say, wow, you brand. guys sell salmon. Amazing. Where do you get it from? Oh. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, 
It's interesting. But uh, no, I love that advice. It's, and it's exciting, too, because it, it really pushes you to be more even more creative. And, you know, what do you, what can you do to say outside the box and, uh, you know, um, and press releases, too? I mean, what's the They're the dead. update? I think press releases are dead. EPKs, I think. I mean, what is you know? I think it's it's dead. like I, all of it is. Dead. I, this is just me. No, you know? I, wanted, I mean, like yeah. you know, when when I was homeless, I, I you know, I was hobosexual, which is essentially you know somebody looking for a relationship because you have somewhere to stay. In a weird <laughs> way, I almost think press releases mirror the idea that we just need something to send out. We need some baggage to be able to utilize in this campaign. But we're in an age of yeah. just people who are so lazy. I yes. mean, people don't read books. They don't read magazines. They don't, they don't hold tactile newspapers mm -hmm. in their hands. They scroll. And if you're going to give them a press release that's a full page long with all kinds of links embedded in it and with all kinds of descriptives, they don't care. And I've yeah. heard more people say, don't make it look pretty. Just give, just me, the give facts, me the facts. But don't call me, right? And don't <laughs> don't stop by and don't ask for a death side. And don't, don't, if it's interesting to me, I'll write about it, you know? But now- and don't follow up. <laughs> it's a 19, you know, it's a 19 year old individual who has half a page in whatever it is they're doing, what a social platform, whatever, half, you know, diameter of writing about fashion, film, golf, and India. That's their entire scope, which is everything, right? They have to write all this stuff and they have to make it bite-sized morsels. So it somehow generates what? Eyeballs, right? Or everybody's looking for eyeballs. Yeah. Everybody is using the ROI of like shares looks, but uh, retainment, is the thing that's missing mm -hmm. from the entire equation. Yeah. You used to, I could tell these stories about what I did, what we did, what yeah. we built, because the stories have soul to it, right? At the end of the day, when mm. you're talking about creating an event as big as interviews, 30th oh. anniversary with these people yes. and these performances, and then the smaller things that you could really get into oh. and share those stories and like the, the pictures and stories. the videos <laughs> and all that stuff, that's a real event, right? Yes. And people... Gravitation celebrities, so that's an easy one. But yes. there are other things that we've done that mm -hmm. are just as odd and yes. misshapen and uncool that are very cool now because of sure, you were because pioneers. of how they landed. Yeah. Well, also just, I mean, pioneers. I think it was just we got lucky because there wasn't that there wasn't. then, right? <laughs> but 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 as you yes. said, like you know, standing outside of a fashion show and trying to do them. Yes. I miss that I person know. who is so hungry that yes. they're doing it for themselves. Mm -hmm. I did this for myself because I wanted to eat. I yeah. wanted to eat every day. Yes. You know, I yeah. wanted somewhere to sleep every exactly. night. And so I, I was driven. Desperation is an amazing driver. It and is. it's a huge quote of mine is that, yes. you know, when I'm at my most desperate, when I'm backed against the wall, yes. the true New Yorker comes out in me because I have to fight my way forward. Mm -hmm. I have to find yep. a creative way forward. Yes. And a lot of people today will just, ah, you know, I yeah. tried. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry it didn't work out. You know, yeah. I'll try, you know, this this week and, and maybe that'll work out. But yep. I do believe in Renaissance people and I believe that mm -hmm. everybody has great skills yes. and you can do a lot of different things, especially today because technology mm -hmm. allows it. And therefore, it's an amazingly optimistic, open opportunity. Yes. You can do what I mean, you can make a podcast at home. You can make an album at home. You can there are things you could do that you couldn't do three years ago, no, let alone exactly. 20 years ago. Exactly. Wow. That's a uh, very interesting. And also like fashion, I feel like is so intense and you have to, I mean, you know, to, like on top of, of everything that you had to do to 
get attention, you know, just like being in the fashion industry and how everyone was so creative and and uh, so um, ahead of the trend. So it's almost like it was like an added pressure to go for. <laughs> I, I think I think the sad epitaph of fashion mm-hmm. is, you know, like Isla, Isabel Toledo uh, just passed away and. Yeah. Um, and she was such a remarkable spirit. You look at Alexander McQueen, you look yeah. at some of these people and you celebrate all of them uh, well after the fact, right? Yeah. They, you knew, you know, she won the CFDA award. There were plenty of reasons why they were celebrated in life, but not to this degree. They were mavericks, they were pioneers, they were doing things mm-hmm. that were always unique and always innovative. And I think celebration is, a, is an interesting term. I think that contribution is a better term, the mm-hmm. contribution to actually shake, shaking the world. They pushed it off its access. Mm. They did something that, that, you know, that hadn't happened before. And I think that when you survey the fashion landscape now, in a way, it's like the public relation landscape that we were just talking about. Mm. What are you, what are, are we, Yeezys? Really? Is this, is this where we are? Is this, is it a sneaker culture? And, and like, I got nothing against it. I'm a huge, no. yes. you know, run DMC and what they did to Adidas I, and Steve Stout. And he can talk mm-hmm. about these things much more eloquently than I can. The contribution of this, of, of music and culture and fashion uh, from, from the hip hop world is uh, extreme and, and powerful. But when it, when we're talking about middle America mm-hmm. and how fashion becomes part of their lifestyle, they don't have the same gravitas. They don't even have the same understanding as to why it's following a trend. It's mm-hmm. following, you know, it's following the leader. Yeah, that's a very good point. And how do you find your creative um, inspiration on a day-to-day basis? It's funny. I'm going to go back to what we talked about before. I I am a big fan of the uncool. I'm a, I like to look through mothballs and see, you know, AM radio, Chinatown, uh, roller rinks. Uh, I don't know. I, I like to look at the things that have been forgotten and overlooked and become passe because my creative inspiration comes from the thinkers, the originators from before mm-hmm. who mapped their own road and it is still widely relevant today. I mean, we're in such a disposable culture and we take all of these amazing innovations and because we have new, better, brighter, bigger, it or smaller, um, we we don't recognize where we can find great creative spark, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that spark well exists in those places. And that's exciting. I it, think it brings it back some of that, you know, soul. fire and soul, <laughs> and you know, a spirit, um, which is. Uh, I know. I think at the root of of PR and, you know, what probably got you into the industry. So that leads me to my next <laughs> question on, um, you know, someone who is interested in PR. And I'm going to give a shout out to my intern for a day. Uh, we have Sarah here from sure. University of Maryland. I'm hosting Sarah. Um, <laughs> and she is a um, PR and business um, um, student at Maryland. And she's still figuring out her way um, in communication. But what would, you know, what advice might you give? <laughs> Is that a loaded I mean, question? I, no, it's not at all. I think it's a great question yes. because, you know, we have, I used to have 20 interns every year, right? They would come in, we'd do 10 and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of those interns went on to have real careers. Mm-hmm. And they're, I mean, 
vice presidents of companies now. I'm sure that it was an interesting experience, if not a, a testing ground for them to be thrown into learning about how to communicate, mm -hmm. not only with your client, how do you communicate with your coworker, how do you reach out? And I just would spend a, a lot of time talking about the poetry of language. I really believe that press releases, which, you know, give or take, press releases should be written in a way that ha that that gives you goosebumps, that that makes you feel something, that palpitates your heart, that that invites you to want to read more. And that creative exercise is mm -hmm. going to help you in any business, anywhere. I mean, we're talking about my leap from acting to public relations through desperation. <laughs> but I took the thing that I believe that I that was my selling point, which was this, and <laughs> and put it to practice in somebody else's for somebody else's benefit, right? So reading everything. I'm big believer in going backwards and reading great stories, reading great authors, seeing great film, definitely international film, traveling, like all of these things that are part of our everyday life, they feed into this. You can't write about, I mean, our second biggest client mm -hmm. was Asoline, which is very well-known French yes. publishing house. And I, I, we got them very... It's an, an amazing story. I, it was sheer luck that I was able to land them, but I had them for seven years. And we had 90 books every six months that we had to promote for. 90 books across every oh. single subject. Fashion, film, I mean, travel, wow. the Maharajas, jewels. It doesn't matter. But I had to be able to write. And we collectively <laughs> had to be able to pitch those stories singularly. That's a lot of heavy lifting, right? And their expectations, because they're French and they're very particular, was to have a return on investment. And we were able to launch them because they're an innovative company. They were the first of their kind. They're well before like what, what yeah. Tashin was doing and making objects of art out of books. But like acting, it's all about inhibiting the role, right? Finding out what, what beats the heart of a client and then speaking to that and then being able to share that is the backwards detective work. Mm -hmm. And that's why I find public relations so fascinating is that I can become all of these different roles and all of these different people and then walk away with all of this incredible knowledge. And then when you have clients that are based in Australia and you get to travel and see another world and how yeah. they do what they do, I mean, that is the best part of living. Mm -hmm. To get paid to do those things and still be yourself, I think, is the great return. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answered that <laughs> question. But I, for, me, for me, that's how I didn't have that luxury of learning that way. Mm -hmm. I learned by having my knuckles wrapped and being told I was doing it wrong and being screamed at and thrown at me and whatever. But yeah. I was on the carpet. And that was my little takeaway. I'm yes. on the carpet. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, that's... Uh... That's great. Um, great advice. So thank you. <laughs> and uh, and where do you see yourself in like five years? Still on the doing? road. On the road. We're going. We're taking that. Like, it's uh, very Kerouac. Right? I, just, like, I don't know. Rez I don't and know. Betty and Mama Drama. We're going on tour. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Please let's do that. Um, That's funny. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I my my obstacle has always been I can't look backwards and I can't really look forwards. Mm -hmm. I was explaining to my son the other day that mm -hmm. we were walking on the, the, the T-Rocks in Manasquan on the jetty and I was like, 
don't look ahead. Just look at every rock and see where you're stepping and you'll be able to get mm. where you're eventually going. And I went, wow, that's so Buddhist. You know? But he was like, dad, that's a really interesting way to look at the metaphor. You know, 13 year old smart yes. guy. Um, but it is right. Mm -hmm. I tend to look down in, in the sense of being careful where I step. Right. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, you yes. better be careful where you step because there's so many people out there ready to say, wow, you didn't really step correctly and you stepped in some doo doo and you really, you know, didn't wipe your feet. And, you know, there's so many haters out there and there's so many people that are there to tear you down mm. that you have to be particular about what you say mm. in the way you say it, when you say it, you know, yeah. if you care. Yes. And oftentimes, I mean, my new resolution this year is I don't care. <laughs> just don't care. I don't care. I don't care because everybody has an opinion yes. and I have to speak to what I believe is, is right mm -hmm. at, you know, for me now. Yeah, oh, that's good. Good advice and be true to yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I just have to add on that. I feel like every time you say something, I'm like, oh my God, Adam, I was like thinking that was, I was skiing in January or January, early January. And like, I was like, oh my God, Colorado Hills are much steeper than Vermont. And I remember getting like, you know, anxious looking all the way down. And I said, okay, I'm just going to look left and right. I'm just going to go what's in front of me. And I got down the mountain, but you know, I just like the same type of thing where I was like, all right, you just have to see what's in front of you and like, just like master that and get through it. I think it's one you step know, at a time. My kids learned how to skateboard in New York city. And I was like, you know, everybody's going to walk in front of you. Everybody's they're not, they don't care how old you are no. and what you're doing. Your job is not to get anxious in the moment and make an error that throws you on the ground. Your job is to keep doing what you're doing. And in New York, you're going to figure that out anyway. You got to keep walking straight, <laughs> yes. right? You got to keep going. Otherwise you're going to be doing this all day long yep. and not getting where you exactly. need to go. Yes. So I've in, tried to instill that it, it also in a macro way in their lives. Don't mm -hmm. allow other people to throw you off mm -hmm. of your path. Just mm -hmm. stay committed to what you're doing and just push forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can do that today, which is probably harder today than it's ever mm -hmm. been. But if you can do that today, I think you have a chance of doing something magical for yourself. Yeah, that's great advice. Very cool. And um, um, so, of course, we can't... Uh, leave the podcast without talking about your favorite band and um, some other music questions. So um, is, well, I guess that's a hard one for, for you. What's your favorite band or what's your work, think, work music? I think it'd be a tie between the total uh, abandonment of Iggy uh -huh. Pop and uh -huh. the kind of melancholy romance of Joy Division. I think it's like, I'm stuck in the middle with both of them. Okay. I love it. Um, and then, of course, our Brand Groupies Challenge is, you know, if your business were a, a song, what song would it be? Uh, it would be an Iggy song. It would okay. be, I want to be your dog. Oh! And, <laughs> and because it's self-explanatory. I mean, in public relations, isn't that what we're doing? You know, yes. I, <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, well, I um, I just love talking to Adam. I love uh, everything you have to say. And, you know, you always inspire me every time, you know, we talk and you have such a way with words. I, every time you write things, I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did he write that? And I, and I think writing, too, is so key. Like you said, social, like everyone's looking for writers now. You have to write and you have you to do. write well. Mm -hmm. So um, so you've, you know, obviously nailed that. So I love reading, you know, everything 
that you uh, that you put out there. So um, um, and so, how can people find you? What's your website and social? Uh, WorkhousePR.com mm -hmm. and just WorkhousePR for Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being a guest on the Frank Griffey's mm. podcast. It's always a wealth of knowledge talking to you. So thank you. Very, thank, thank you. Thank you very so much. much. Oh, it was so fun. Peace.